0: Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode 41. I'm your host, Barney Smith of storycomic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed and highly talented teacher, children's book author, painter, photographer, and toy designer, Brian Ballinger. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? Good. You you have like an an extensive array of of all kinds of artwork that you've done. And when we first started connecting again, you were in the midst of doing murals. Yes. And then been following you on Facebook, and you've also then around COVID times you started getting diving into doing three D animation sculpture. With basically, you're making toys now, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm like I get into
1: something and then I go all in on it. And then I right. go all in and go on and then I find something else, but then I still kind of do the same stuff that I was in but now I got something else and I'm just
0: You work for Veggie Tales. You're an animator at Veggie Tales. And now you've been for the last 15 years. You've also now been a professor. So I helped start the animation program
1: at Huntington University. I taught there full time for like 15 six, 16 years, 17 years, something like that. Um and then I backed off now so that I can I still teach one class but then I am doing all my
0: other stuff. You spend a lot of time at, spend a lot of time also doing children's book illustrations. You came out with three of your own children's books. Um Animal Gas, Kooky cookie, cookie Cookery. Cookie and cookery was a yeah that one
1: actually that was a uh, an, an odd strange cookbook <laughs> dedicated to you know the types of foods that were really popular in the 40s 50s and 60s and
0: some of the and, and then and then but but then you did one that way before even that like we talking about back in 2002 you came out with one called the great Cheese. The great squeeze. cheese squeeze. Yeah, I did that with my uh really good friend Keith Lango. But now you're back to it. So, it's been about 10 years in the making. You're now actually working on a brand new children's book?
1: Yeah, it it's finished. Uh it's coming out. Uh, the publisher has all the final files. It's coming out in May. The Big Wig Parade. I'm a I'm a huge fan of just everything that wigs represent. Really? well sure i mean they're they're just you know okay so here's uh here's uh here's the squirrel okay yep and uh the squirrel has like a kind of a a marie antoinette kind of a thing going on like
0: a buff a bouffon is that what it's yeah, called like a,
1: yeah yeah so yeah uh, i'm hoping that the publisher goes for making you know full-on toy versions to go with the books um I just couldn't, you know. Once I get characters going, now that I'm doing the toys, I just got to make them.
0: So, um, so talk to us a little bit about what you meant about, like, what do wigs represent, and how do, and how does that interact with putting it inside a children's book? Yeah, I don't know. Wigs are just like
1: they're they're they, they like they sit on your head. They change who you are, kind of. But you know, and they can get and the just the history of them has been so ridiculous that uh,
0: they're just I don't know how they're they're just lovable. Come on. Who doesn't right. love a good wig? Who doesn't love a good wig? Yeah. So who, and, and so how did that fit in? Like, what was the inspiration behind, were you inspired to do this during your experiment of, of making these toys or is this something that kind of happened in tandem? Uh,
1: Yeah, it was, um, I had started on it uh, kind of actually before the toys. And then I went into the toys and then I was like, I then decided to finish it and gave it, gave it to my literary rep. And then it sold, um, right while I was doing the toys too. So
0: your last, as we said before, like the last book you came out was animal gas in 2013. Mm-hmm. Did you see yourself going back to a children's books? Because since then you were, as we said, you didn't, you're doing murals, you've yeah. been doing photography, you've been doing, um, 3d sculpture 3d animation you're doing animation class did you see yourself going back to children's books yeah
1: yeah i still like i have i have this whole list of things that you intend to work on want to work on ideas that you just write down so i've got like seven or eight other picture book ideas (laughs) that i want to do um i definitely want to keep keep doing them but then i have Lots of other stuff that I'm doing, too. I know we haven't brought it up yet, but the Faulty Dogs, which is a a toy line that I'm currently working on. I want to do a picture book that goes with that, too. But that started with the toys.
0: Okay. Basically, in 2022, you've been really just going really into the 3D sculpture and making them into toys. You've been playing with different levels of what do you call it? Cause sometimes some of them are resin. Some of them are, yeah, they're all resin, but
1: I make them okay. look like they're not resin. Sometimes for some reason, I'd, I'd love to draw dogs. So I have like a massive folder of thousands of dog doodle drawings. You can see some <laughs> of them there. And it's fun to just translate them into 3d because my style isn't, is really 2d. I mean, if you look at my drawings, there's no demand. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's flat, my brain is a 2d brain. It, it's just kind right. of funny, but then to translate them into 3d is, is a challenge, but it's really fun. And then to take that and then make it at something physical I can hold and then to paint it and make them look like they're out of different materials is just a lot of fun. So, and I'm working with a toy company in New York called tenacious toys.
0: Give us a little bit of education on how would you take a, your character and turn it into a 3d model? Okay. So yeah, um i use i have you know
1: i've had i've used 3d computer software since 1990 no 89 so i've been using it a lot uh so there's a lot of different software you can use but the one that i use uh the most now is called nomad and it's actually on the ipad and it's awesome so i just take one of my drawings like this And then I bring it into nomad and the nomad is a sculpting program. So it's really like working with clay. So I'll model it in nomad and just out of these primitive shapes, you stick them together, you blend them together and then you can like sculpt with different tools like you would with clay. So I build the model in there um, and then I can actually bring that model into procreate on the iPad and paint a version of it. So like what you have up now, You know, uh, on one side, you've got this rendering where i painted that in procreate, and then I I just render it out. So then I have a version that I know what it's going to look like in full color. Mm. Then I take the 3d model and then you can see on the right, on the other side, there's the 3d model that I'm holding and I can use the procreate 3d model painted model version as reference, uh, once I've printed it out. So then I take the model and, um, I bring it into what's called slicing software, which basically oh. converts it to a format that a three d printer can then print out. Then okay. i three d print it and then um, if i and then I have to sand a little bit of it, but not too much, and then I prime it and then I just hand paint them. I can send the three d model to the toy factory, but then I can also send my painted model that they can then base, you know the colors on. Um, so it's mm. like a prototype for them.
0: Right. Um, so using so using the word toy is that would that be technically a misnomer because are they more like figurines or sculptures? What would the, be the definition the term
1: that they, that is currently art toy is kind of what they're called or designer toy.
0: Would you go? Would you go as far as like with with some of your your dog designs? Would you actually make them into what are they What are they called? When they have uh, oh articulated? Care? Yeah,
1: articulated. Yeah. yeah, I I I do want to start doing that too. And you can you can three D print the parts with you know the the joints and everything in them so that they can articulate. Yeah, that would be a lot right. of fun.
0: Yep. Oh, and and so. Because you have such a wide array, we're just talking about the faulty dogs. And for those that are interested, please check these out. That Brian has these at breadwig.com. Um, and there's a link right there in the faulty dogs uh, toy section. And do all of these actually have like personalities, names, and all that information, or are they just dogs?
1: <clears throat> um, they They have names um, and they have some personality that's in you know that's in my head mm. um that I'm gonna definitely be fleshing all that out for the books, but you know, like there's some that are you know more doofy and playful, and then there's other ones that are kind of frumpy and grumpy and um. <laughs> you know <laughs> there's one yeah some of them are a little stranger than the others part of the fun of this is pushing the envelope on what is actually a what could be a dog i mean you like mm. you look at that yellow one there and it's like that's that's pushing the envelope pretty far <laughs> but <laughs> but there's always further you can push it so
0: I right mean, So when you say that you push in the envelope of that from a design perspective, because as we said earlier, you are an art professor. Mm -hmm. You actually teach color theory. You actually teach all this stuff. At what point do you say from a design perspective, what are the minimal requirements that you put in this to say, this is a dog
1: boy. I got to have a nose and, and, and some kind of a snout, but boy, there's some dogs that don't really have much of a snout. So they're pretty flat faced. <laughs> so a nose is a good thing. Uh ears, uh, you know, uh, the ears can flop up. Now the the one there on the right, I call that the squirrel dog, the, the silver one. Mm. Uh because <clears throat> that's starting to go, go into squirrel territory. I mean, I don't, I mean, you look at all these, you can tell they're dogs, all right.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. That's the that's the most bizarre part. They Yeah. separate of there, they're like there's nothing in common with them. But when you look at them individually, you know that's a dog. Yeah. They're all so bizarrely different. It's amazing.
1: Right. Yeah. So I mean it's the it nose, floppy ears, although they don't all have floppy ears, uh but that helps. Uh I would say uh um yeah, some sort of a muzzle, right? Maybe that's it. Four legs and a muzzle.
0: <laughs> yeah, because some of the ears are floppy, some of them aren't. Yeah. So, how much of this when you're actually building these things that you were experimenting with color and texture? Well, the texture is the same, but having the the feeling like some of them seem to be look like they're made out of pewter, or some of them yeah, seem like of, like...
1: that's just uh, you know I. This whole 3D printing and this whole process of making these plays into my inner mad scientist mm. where you want to try something and see what it, see what happens and see what it looks like. So I like to print them out and then, you know, because you can make more than one copy and say, okay, I'm going to just see what happens if I slap this on here or try this new kind of paint or put this paint over this paint or you know, try this rub and buff stuff on the top or, you know, and I just like to experiment and see what you can make it look like. It's yeah. Basically make it look like it's not made out of resin.
0: So with the process itself, what is, what's the recyclable aspects of this? Say for instance, you, you make a dog, you you, you make a dog. It's like, "Ah, I don't like that. Is that something that you can like, remelt the resin or how does that work
1: you really with the resin stuff you can't um okay there's other other there's another type of 3d printer that melts plastic and sometimes you can remelt it's it's kind of a pain but you can mm. sort of recycle that so yeah i try not to uh, have any that are i've gotten pretty good at it to where like i don't get many failures where i'm just have, have to throw it out right Um, and even when i do get some failures sometimes i'll frankenstein them together (laughs) (laughs) um or i'll have ones that are a little bit i don't know they're not right or something and i'll still paint them up and then sometimes i like to just leave stuff leave ones like leave them around for people to find Mm. um i'm like okay so so here's the squirrel dog and i've You know, painted him kind of this silver and blue. Right. But then I've got this one where it's straight black and white. And then I've got this one where he's got more of a blue patina kind of a thing going on. And then I got the silver one and that with kind of these blue metallic underneath. And then print them in different sizes. So I'll print these little ones and then like these little ones fun to kind of leave around town just to see who finds it <laughs>
0: free art you know and also when, when you're talking earlier about how important color and design is like the, you're just showing us you know for as an example how much color really helps with the design of, of oh yeah of, of a piece of art oh yeah it's a, it feels completely different you know putting aside the fact that you've been a professional illustrator for 20 odd years how has doing 3d sculptures improved your art style on a 2d in a 2d fashion
1: you know what's interesting is i actually will use it to help me with my 2d stuff so um cool i will like like when i'm if i'm doing a book uh, or I'm doing a character that I'm going to draw a lot. I'll, I'll I'll model it up in 3D and then I got a reference, and okay. I can print them out and have it right there, or I can just rotate it, you know, on the computer in 3D, um, and it helps helps me it helps me think about it because yeah, you see my drawings. They they you know both eyes are on the one side of the head, and you know it's very yeah. flat and 2D, but um, that has really actually helped me a lot in figuring out okay, you know what that looked like from another angle or from you know a different side or whatever so
0: yeah yeah so is is there some level of reverse engineering that you do now with 2d to 3d is it do you see itself easier to design as you said a character in 3d then make it 2d or or reverse engineer what you've done with your faulty dogs by taking an existing image of a dog and then trying to make it into 3d
1: it uh I find, for me, the creative beginning of the character is always 2D and drawn. Okay. Always. But if I'm going to then do more with it, then going to 3D helps helps a lot.
0: Because you mentioned that. I'm also thinking about when you came out with Animal Gas, and then you came out with you know the great cheese squeeze um, 20 years ago. Have you ever thought about, like, these are really fun characters – I might just make this into like a sequel to this, these stories.
1: Yeah, I have thought about that. In fact, uh, I have a sequel, uh, that I wrote with for the great cheese squeeze that I just, I haven't gotten around to making it into a full book dummy to pitch the story's written, written for it though. And I do have a sequel in mind for animal gas called a farty party. I want to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I'm hoping
0: that the big wig,
1: the big wig parade will have a sequel potential as well.
0: It seems as though that looking at your murals and looking at your previous books that you do have some repeat characters that,
1: you know, I'll sit down to draw and if I don't know what I'm doing, then I'll, I have these stock things that I just start drawing and they're usually characters.
0: It's um, like the, like the pig with the banjo, right? Yeah. Oh,
1: don't get me started on banjo pigs. Uh, yeah. The, you should check out, uh, there's a website dedicated to banjo pig drawings that got me started on that. They just go
0: together, right? They do. They yeah. do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just the, the yeah pigs and banjo, same thing as like, I don't know. It just seems like, and then like crows and, I don't know violins I don't know yeah yeah (laughs) now just now I'm just thinking of like stringed instruments with like random farm animals now I'm going to be on that for a while
1: did you see that because
0: I have that uh, the one mural where they're
1: all uh they're all yeah the the farmyard home hoedown
0: right and was that and you have so talk to us a little bit about that perspective of how complicated i've seen some of your videos so anybody's also interested if you go to breadwig.com there's also a link to brian's youtube page and there are some really good videos a couple minutes long of you doing some of your murals so how did you get started on mural painting
1: uh so there's a a small city near here in fort wayne indiana and they had a uh they put out a call for muralists several years ago and i was like man that would be fun so i just applied and um because i am you know i'm good with the computer graphics stuff i'm i mocked up a whole bunch of designs on the actual walls you know that they were going to be on and Put together a really nice presentation for it so i got that and yeah once you get one big mural under your belt uh it shows that you can do it and then it's you know it's a lot easier to get more um so yeah that's how that's i just did that one and then super fun yeah those ones there up at the top or that's one of my more recent ones it was a 360 mural in a library down near indianapolis um that's beautiful and that was so fun so i did uh again animals playing instruments they're animals from all around the world playing instruments from their native region and then i worked the names of the animals and the instruments and where they're from into the background of the mural so that was uh, interesting to do as a 360 all the way around
0: job right how complicated is it doing a mural? It's more like you have to do you utilize like a projector or how did that work?
1: Yeah. I, I totally go for the projector. Um, and then another thing that makes it a lot easier or more feasible is I use software on an iPad that unwarps it. So like, you know, um, A great example is i did a mural on a five-story parking garage and when you project that high up it's gonna Mm. you know warp so this software unwarps it so it's straight on once it hits and so then i just you can just i just break it into pieces you never envision yourself as you know that you're this cartoonist and then you have to go and learn how to work a giant bucket lift and
0: <laughs> five stories up and the wind's blowing around and stuff. But you mentioned in a previous interview is like doing murals is almost a cross between a solitary work because you're, you're painting this, but it's almost a sense of like there's a level of theater that happens. it
1: is. It's a little bit of performance art too. Right. And that's part of why I love it because you know i'm used to like sitting in here working on stuff myself um inside and <clears throat> this is the opposite where i'm outside the weather's hitting me i'm using my whole body to make this you know moving around i'm getting pain all over me and there's people walking by and watching asking questions they'll come back later um and I actually like that part of it. I, it's a lot of fun to interact with people and, you know, and they're really curious. Um, in fact, that the one mural that I did with the the animals uh, at the hoedown with the with the banjo pig, you know, I was working on that one and I was working into the night and it was in a small town. And the, the whole like a whole bunch of people came and brought chairs and just <laughs> sat there and they made an evening of it. <laughs> just watching me and talking and listening to music and there I am painting. It was, it was really fun. And and what,
0: and what about the, uh, the actual upkeep of this? Is there something like in a contract, like I, I like say, saying like you need to show up two years later and do a touch up or anything like that. Or is there like you, you give them an instruction manual to say, make sure you put this on, on it to keep it from yeah uh well i i seal seal them
1: all with a really good sealer Mm. and then i also give the option in the contract if they want to pay for it i'll put anti-graffiti coating on it too okay um and then uh after that i just i just put it in there that um in the contract that you know if if at some point they need it to be touched up they can contact me and hire me to touch it up Um, unless it's the fault of unless there's something that i did wrong that Mm. is making it not work but it's almost yeah so far i haven't had to do that with any any of my murals they've they've held up really well um and usually the biggest thing to worry about is if the building is if you're painting on like crumbling brick and stuff in which case i make note of that before I start. Right. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you're getting a little iffy in these areas. So
0: right. But and and so this is almost like like yeah, levels of like engineering is involved in this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. <coughs> yep. And planning planning it out and cutting it cutting it apart the parts so so when you project it you can get them all to line up and then um yeah figuring out how you're gonna do it. Um I I I because I, I'm heavy on line work. I put all the colors in first, because um, you don't want to you don't want to paint in into the line work. <laughs> That's, you know, there's a reason right. you know the Disney did all the painting underneath the line work for their movies and stuff. So yeah, the downside to that is while you're painting it, it doesn't without the line work, it doesn't look right. And so I'm always telling people don't judge it yet. Don't it's going to look don't just wait and then once I get the line work in, everybody's
0: like, "Okay. <laughs> now I see." Uh, and and this is proof positive for those that are looking to do murals and just do art is just to remind people about the stem aspects of art. It's there's a lot of math involved. So those that think I just want to draw pictures all day, I'm, I don't need to pay attention in, in, in math class. There's a substantial amount of math involved in doing this. Yeah,
1: I mean, I have on you know on my computer, I have the shortcut to the calculator. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> yeah, I know, and I you know I have to, I have a whole. Funny, you should bring this up with the murals. I have a whole uh, sp- spreadsheet and way of calculating exactly how much paint in each color that I'm going to need. I use Photoshop. I, I, you know, I I do the design and then I find out what the square footage is. And then in Photoshop I can select the pixel areas of the color and figure out what percentage of the overall pixels in the image that is, and then convert that to what the square feet that I'll need and how much paint it covers, you know, a square foot. And yeah. So that way, yeah. Otherwise, you, you know, you don't know how much paint you're going to get. You, you don't, you, you don't want to spend too much and get too much that you don't need or not have enough. And that's, that's even worse. So. Right.
0: You've gone through a completely different section of like where you were like five years ago. I mean, you are, uh, have, have you been able to talk to like with your classmate, with your, with your students? Have you been able to talk to your students about, murals now is that something that you? yeah in fact i've managed
1: out? to hire a couple of them as assistants so wow, okay um yeah yep all right yeah i try and i don't know i whatever i'm excited about somehow finds its way into my classes so <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> but i think that's i mean you know if your professor is excited about what they're talking mm-hmm. about
0: i think it makes a difference so right yep all right. So you mentioned it before. You have, uh, you have your books. Your wigs book is wigs on parade. Is that what it's the big wig parade? We'll put a link to that book in the show notes for people can pre order it. Then, pa- awesome. So, like, Brian, this has been a great time. Listen, yeah, you come back on when you got another project popping up. This is great. oh heck
1: yeah. Well, you know, I I have no shortage of those.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I I have started
1: the faulty frogs. Series. So perfect. Well, thank you so much,
0: Brian. It was a great yeah Yeah,
1: anytime. I love this. This It's a lot of fun.